From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. We're going to go across the pond today to talk about the latest tax developments in Europe, and there are a lot of them. Starting in 2023, the EU is planning on implementing a continent-wide minimum tax of 15% for companies in line with the OECD global negotiations. There are also new rules coming up on how companies have to report country by country and possibly more rules that target shell companies. To go over all of this, we hear from Marlies de Ryder, the global international tax policy leader at EY. She spoke to Bloomberg Tax's Isabel Gottlieb from her home base in the Netherlands about what all of these new rules mean for multinational corporations based in the EU and also here in the U.S. So if you look at these changes, kind of the most important thing is that they're all big changes. So even if they would have happened in consecutive years, the tax departments would have been very, very busy with them. And I think that's exactly the challenge, because what you see is that each of them requires focus but then all of them will need to actually be addressed at the same time. Of course, um, it requires prioritization. You can't do everything at the same time. But in particular, when it comes to reporting and compliance, you will need to repl- uh, comply. So that means that kind of the most important thing is to look at um, where the overlap is, how to make sure that you get to um, synergetic benefits that you can use, and in particular as a reporting, to develop a strategy so that actually you adapt your systems in a way that it can address all of these issues instead of individual ones. Um, Let's start with pillar two, the 15% global minimum tax for multinationals. So at the end of December, we saw model rules from the OECD and the draft of a directive from the EU Um, France, who's the current EU president, is aiming to get agreement among all the member states in the coming months. Um, And the uh, goal is to see the rules implemented domestically across the EU and all member states by the start of 2023. For companies looking at this, what does compliance with Pillar 2 look like? And what do they have to do between now and then to get ready? The, the, the compliance for Pillar 2 um, will intensify the, the reporting environment magnificently. And there are a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that um, in the past, when you looked at uh, country-by-country reporting, for example, but also mandatory disclosure reporting or exchange of rulings, um, it was all information that either was already there or used for tax risk assessment purposes. So that means it's, it's, you can always provide additional information and be more specific. And that's not the case for Pillar 2 information. It will need to be the right information. So data quality will be key. And therefore, you even need to consider when you can use all the information that you're using, for example, for country-by-country reporting, whether you need to enhance your data quality to make sure that you have consistent information uh, and, and high-quality information for all purposes. So that's the first The second is that it will require new data to be used. So Pillar 2 kind of um, uses uh, tax accounting information, uh, financial um, uh, reporting, loss and and income. Uh, So starting from there, kind of what you see is um, in in the past, you would have adaptions to get to the tax base for each country. Now you also need to do the adaptions for Pillar 2 to get to your tax base and your cover taxes for Pillar 2. So there's a, a parallel stream of tax accounting that will need to take place 
which is a huge additional thing. And then the third thing is that if you look at the EU specifically, they are looking for public reporting. Um, and that will also require some kind of explaining to the public of what you're actually talking about. Uh, that will mean that you will need to look at, at as a company at, so what does it mean for my systems? Where am I now? And what do I need to do kind of um, in 2025 when I need to file the Pillar 2 report? But you will already need to start monitoring the data as of now, actually, because the transition period has already started. In terms of what's happening within corporate tax departments, um, are we talking about kind of new um, technical systems, overhauling the way information is organized? Um, have you heard about companies bringing on additional employees to, to deal with this? It's, it's probably a combination of everything of that, kind of what you mentioned. Uh, so if you look at internal organizations, you also always have um, kind of a, um, a, a triangle of tax control frameworks that looks at uh, processes, that looks at tools, that looks at people. And if you look at kind of all these elements, you will see changes in them all. And not all businesses, systems and, and, and processes are ready for that. So, so those are major things that businesses will have to look at uh, before they will be able to comply with Pillar 2. We got the model rules, um, but the OECD is also slated to release what they've described as an implementation framework um, and I believe commentary on Pillar 2 this year. So what additional information um, in either of those documents are we waiting for um, that could affect the, the calculations companies are doing? Um, what are sort of the open questions that, that companies are still looking to see answered um, and how does that affect their preparations for the rules coming into effect? Indeed, we're expecting the commentary and the, the, the implementation framework. And we're expecting, I think, different things from, from each of those. So on, from the commentary, we, we mainly hope for clearer explanations of what the intentions are be behind the, uh, the model rules and maybe uh, unveiling some of the complexities. There are so many complexities in there uh, and, and, and that will explain why things are needed, for example. So just one example, uh, the transition rules require that asset transfers within the country are being uh, done at uh, book value and not uh, kind of real um, economic value. Um, so that for, for many, many businesses will be impossible to do because they don't specify which assets could be anything, could be, you know, pencil, could be cup. And there's also no, no materiality threshold there. So, so that means that kind of everyone is thinking, you know, what, what should I do here? Because I can't do it for each and every asset. Clearly, the intention is to um, try to prevent step-ups and, and, and depreciations that would um, kind of um, undermine Pillar 2 calculations. But if you look at the way it's now written down, it's impossible to comply with. Turning to the public country-by-country country reporting measure, um, so this is going to require companies above a 750 million euro threshold uh, to publicly report the effective tax rate they pay in um, every jurisdiction and some other information like uh, number of employees uh, in, in each country. EU member countries are supposed to bring the rules into force by June 2023, I believe. What does that mean for when this when this actually kicks in and affects companies? 
I, I think you're, you're totally right. So if you look at the timeline, uh, the country should have their um, legislation ready by mid-2023. Uh, uh, um, so, so that will actually be um, 18 months, seems like a lot of time. Uh, but but kind of some countries could be quicker, right? We have had um, examples of Poland being quicker when it came to mandatory disclosure rules. So, so that's something to look at. Um, the second thing is that after that, uh, bus- uh, the, 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 it will enter into force or into to effect for businesses like 12 months later. So for, for financial years uh, starting on or after mid-2024 is when the reporting then uh, will have to be done and, and the actual reports will then be done in 2025. That seems like a very comfortable timeline. Uh, however... And what you see there is that kind of if you combine it with the conversation we had on pillar two, it it isn't that comfortable. And also what you see is that it will provide partial public reporting. So what you will see is you will have to report on your EU EU, um, countries and on um, the the black and grey listed jurisdictions. Uh, and, And some businesses are saying, I see this development. I see pillar two development. There may be effective tax rate reporting also required in the EU. That's something they announced. We don't know the timeline yet. Uh, there may be also um, the what we may be talking about also um, uh, reporting under non-financial reporting standards, the whole sustainability reporting and tax. So I can't do this individually. So I can't wait until 2025. I need to embed public country-by-country reporting in, into a wider reporting strategy. So, so that's what we are seeing, that mainly kind of the combination of, of the different reporting elements are creating this need to already start looking at it now and, and do it in a strategic fashion. I believe there's some companies that have taken the initiative to voluntarily start disclosing this type of information. Um, can you talk a bit about uh, what that consideration looks like, what goes into that decision, and how that could help set them up for when um, the mandatory public reporting comes into effect in a few years? What you see is, is there are probably two streams of thoughts when it comes to public reporting. Uh, we have seen that um, when the whole discussion about tax avoidance and, and good tax behavior started, uh, also, the thinking about public country-by-country reporting started. It was spurred on by a lot of NGO attention, also attention, for example, by the European Parliament. Uh, and that kind of made some businesses think about public uh, reporting. And then you also had some in- industries where it was already obligatory. So if you look at, for example, uh, extractives or um, financial services, that's where there's already an obligation and that's why you see, in particular in those industries, that there are already businesses that are doing public uh, country-by-country reporting, um, and there are also other uh, businesses that followed. On the other hand, you also have businesses that are, that are saying, um, it, it, for me, kind of it provides too much information and uh, competitive information that is competitively sensitive, so I don't want to go as deep as public country by country reporting of my corporate tax information. Plus, many of them are saying it doesn't provide the complete picture of my contribution to society. So I want to give more. I want to give information on all my taxes. 
And, and that's the, the whole thinking about total tax paid or total tax contribution. And, and those are the two streams. And those streams you also see come, come back in voluntary standards that are out there for non-financial reporting. But that's the considerations of businesses. And you, you see voluntary reporting in, in both streams uh, at this moment. So looking ahead, um, another directive in the works. Um, also this past December, the EU released a uh, proposed directive for addressing the misuse of shell entities. They're calling it um, ATAD 3, the anti-tax avoidance directive, the third one, um, uh, has not been adopted yet, but we've seen what it might look like. So what should corporate tax departments be watching for, um, starting to think about what, what might the effect be of this measure? So the most important feature of this measure is that it has two gateways. The first is a reporting gateway that is set quite widely. Um, and the second is then a, a kind of a gateway to assess whether uh, businesses are, or entities are shell companies. Um, and, and as kind of the first gateway is set so, so widely, it will actually require reporting by quite a, a big number of, of businesses and entities. Um, so, so that I think is a, a most, one of the most important features. So you will have to report if you have international operations, primarily kind of mobile income, and as a third, you outsource some of your day-to-day -day administration. So that's quite uh, easy for many entities to, to, to meet, actually. That also shows how important reporting is to, to, to fight tax avoidance from the perspective of uh, the, the, the EU. They, they really see transparency as a tool to fight tax avoidance and treaty shopping. The second important feature is that this is quite easy to copy. So even if the directive is not introduced, countries can introduce it quite easily individually as an interpretation for, of their principal purpose testers, for, for example. So we are already um, understanding that some countries, like for example, Canada, find it a very interesting um, way of addressing the issue because they have also had problems to look at uh, conduit companies, for example. Um, so what you may see is that this will start spreading, even though um, no legislation will be adopted in countries. That is really interesting. Um, so looking at this broader picture of, of the measures that we've been talking about, um, the Pillar 2, public country by country reporting, the Shell Directive, the mandatory disclosure requirements. What is driving this broader push for transparency um, and information uh, across the EU as a policy? If, if you look at it, I think it also links to what is driving the, the wider policy developments. Uh, globalization, uh, digitalization and, and sustainability. I think those are the three uh, mega trends that we see kind of worldwide, but also that are definitely driving kind of this transparency environment because it is possible for uh, tax administrations to now process kind of much more data than, the, than, than they could in the past. In the past, a risk-based approach was not uh, a choice, but was essential. Uh, now they can move away a bit from the risk-based approach to a much more 100% scanning approach. And that's what you see happening in tax administrations. Uh, and, and that's why they are requiring all this data that they then can, can assess, they can kind of uh, look at it in bulk, etc. 
That was Marlies DeRyder, the Global International Tax Policy Leader at EY, speaking to Bloomberg Tax's Isabel Gottlieb. And that's it for today's Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block from Washington. I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.